Why don't you guys open up to Amos? By a quick outline, the book of Amos um, breaks up into really two different sections. You see the judgments. There's eight different judgments declared uh, starting in chapters one through six. Chapters seven through nine deal with five different visions that God gave to Amos. And really, we're going to be looking at that main section of the judgments next week. And then the following week, I believe that's the 17th, we'll be looking at the five visions that God gave to Amos, each one very unique and each one really giving us an amazing picture of the heart of God. But really, tonight, what I wanted to key in on wasn't so much the visions, although I love those, or the judgments that are declared, but really the man that God uses. The man that God uses. So if you're taking notes, that's going to be the title of our study, The Man God Uses. Hopefully you're in Amos chapter 1. Let's go ahead and read the first two verses together. It says this, the words of Amos who was among the sheep herders of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, the pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. We see here at the beginning of the book of Amos this introduction to the man, this introduction to the man of who God wants to use. Now, we really have to understand a few things about Amos before we go. Now, we're told here in verse 1 that he is a sheep herder from the area of Tekoa. Now, if you're anything like me, Tekoa is an unfamiliar name in the Bible's genre. I mean, we know Jerusalem. And we know uh, many other cities, Samaria and Bethel. And we know these cities because we've heard about them for so long. But Tekoa, I mean, what, what's, what's Tekoa? Well, I can guarantee that Tekoa is not going to be on the Israel tour coming in October. It's not a town you're going to want to go see. For those of you that want to know, it's about 12 miles south of Jerusalem, there in the city or the nation of Judea. And really, it's kind of barely a blip on the map. In fact, in our terms, it would be somewhere between El Centro and San Diego, um, a little thing you pass through, and the nearest gas station is actually in the next town. There's not much to the city of Tekoa. It's known for ugly sheep and ugly figs. It's true. It's ugly sheep and ugly figs. That's what they have there. They don't have much. And yet that is where God calls a man by the name of Amos. That's where he calls this guy and says, hey, I want you to go not to Jerusalem during the reign of Uzziah, a godly king who is serving the Lord. I want you to go to Israel, but not just to Israel in the north. I want you to go to Bethel, the center center, of intellectual and spiritual worship for that area under the reign of Jeroboam II, in case you were wondering, not Jeroboam I who took over after Solomon but God calls this man, this sheep herder, this guy, to go up to, or pardon me, to Israel and say, and pronounce these judgments. Now, if this were me, I'd have to say that I would be a little bit hesitant. But I really want to look at five things, very briefly, I promise I won't take a long time, 
five things or characteristics about Amos that I believe make him an amazing man of God. Because it's my desire, and I hope that it's your desire, that you would love to be used by the Lord in a way like Amos, in a way like many other people who serve the Lord faithfully. So what are some characteristics of this man of God? If you're taking notes, the five things we're going to go over are obedience, humility, sincerity, boldness, and love. The first thing we see is simply obedience. Amos was, as we said, from this hick town. He was a fig picker. He was a sheep herder by his own admission. There wasn't anything grandiose about him. He was more than likely uneducated, untrained, as he wouldn't need to know much except about some plants and some sheep. And really, he's being called to go to this intellectual capital. Now, if it were me, I would immediately begin to come up with many reasons why I'm unfit. I'd say, but, but Lord, I'm, I'm uneducated. I'm, I'm unexperienced. I don't know how to go and speak. I mean, I'm around stinky sheep all day. Or my hands are covered in figs. I don't talk with that many people. Lord, why are you sending me? Lord, I'm unknown. Nobody knows me. I'm insignificant. Why would you send me to go to Israel to talk to these people? Lord, I'm unfamiliar with Israel. I don't know that area. I've never been out of my small town. I can think of so many reasons why I wouldn't want to go. And yet we see that Amos was obedient. I would venture to say that if you're anything like me, the Lord has asked you to do something and you've made excuses why you can't. Has anybody, anybody at all? I've got my hands both actually should be up right now. There have been many times the Lord says, hey, Christian, I want you to go talk to that person. Hey, Christian, I, I want you to go do that. And, and I come up with many reasons why I'm not the best choice. I come up with many reasons why, but Lord, I mean, that guy over there, he's, he's so much better for the job. I mean, just, just look at him. He's there, and, and I'm running away, Lord. So, so go use him. There's so many things, so many reasons that I can come up with. And I imagine that you've probably come up with those same reasons from time to time. Lord, I, I don't know all the answers to the questions they're going to ask me. Oh, what, if they, what if they're going through something really tough, and I don't know what to say? What if they want to receive you? I don't, I don't know how to lead someone to the Lord. I've never done that before. There's so many reasons that we could say no to the Lord, but what I want us to understand is that Amos was obedient to go. Amos, the most unlikely prophet from this hick town in Tekoa, says, God, I will be obedient and I will go and I will trust that you will be strong. You see, I believe that Amos was a man who communed with God. I believe he was a man that loved the Lord, that possibly even knew the scriptures because he was so in tuned to the voice of God as we're going to see throughout the next two weeks as these prophecies come. Amos was a man who trusted in the Lord. In fact, he lived out 2 Chronicles 16.9 where it says this, for the eyes of the Lord run to and from throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. Amos understood, okay, God, if you're going to send me, you're going to be faithful and you're going to be strong. Even though I feel like a sheep going to the wolves, which I'm sure Amos would understand, he was still obedient. 
You see, I love that God, as 1 Corinthians one twenty seven, has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. In Acts 4.13, the religious leaders looked at Peter and John and they said, we perceive that they were uneducated and untrained men. So Amos really here is in great company, as you and as I are. You see, it doesn't take somebody who's been to seminary. It doesn't take somebody who has all their ducks in the row and knows everything about the Bible. It takes someone who's simply available, who says, God, I will go. I'll go and speak to the checker inside of Walmart. I'll speak to that person in the cubicle next to me. I'll speak to the person across the street at the gas station or, or wherever it may be. But I'll go, trusting God. You see, Amos was a man who was filled with obedience. Secondly, we see that Amos was a man marked by humility. Notice how he introduces himself. He says in verse one, who am among the sheep herders of Tekoa? I have to say, if I were a guy who was going to an intellectual capital, going where all the thinkers were, and I was from a little hick town, I don't know that I would plaster in big neon lights that I was a shepherd. I just don't know that I would. I mean, I might smell like a sheep, I might have ratty clothing, but I don't know that I'd come out and just tell everybody. But that wasn't Amos. Amos was a man who was humble. He was a man who was willing to say, hey, this is, this is who I am. In fact, there was, there was one of the, uh, the religious leaders there in Bethel. Um, he told Amos, hey, go, go back and prophesy in Jerusalem. Go back to, to Judea and there prophesy. And Amos says, hey, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder, a tender of sycamore fruit, and the Lord took me as I followed the flock. He's like, hey, I'm not anything big. All I am is I'm going to follow the Lord. And he was obedient in that. He was humble. Thirdly, he was sincere. He was sincere. I told you I was going to go quick. He was sincere. Amos didn't try to pretend to be something that he wasn't. Now, what do I mean? This is very similar to what we talked about in humility, but it's slightly different. The sincerity that he had was that all the examples that he gives throughout the judgments that are being declared and the visions all have to do with things that he would understand. They have to do with trees and roots and grains. They have to do with sheep and shepherds and lions attacking and a shepherd removing portions of a sheep from a lion's mouth. They have to do with pushing a cart that is loaded down with vegetation. Amos was somebody who was completely sincere in who he was. Now, if, if you'll permit me, this is something that's been really on my heart a lot lately. What it means to be sincere. What it means to be somebody who is genuine and open and honest. You see, I think that there is a culture that has been cultivated in the church at large of almost a facade, a facade that we put on when we come to church on Sundays and on Wednesdays when we're, when we're talking to believers that we go to church with or when we're talking to somebody you know, at the grocery store. We all of a sudden change our tone of voice we change our words. 
We, we act differently. Has anybody else ever noticed this? Or am I the only one? Okay, I'm not alone here. And the world perpetuates this. The world says you have to act a certain way, you have to look a certain way, you have to talk a certain way. Has anybody ever noticed, this is totally random, that if you are a news anchor, you have to have a California accent? Anybody ever notice that? If you live outside of California, you'll know this. You guys, we all live here. I've lived some time away, and people around the world, they talk differently. They really do. But if you're a news anchor, you have to talk like a Californian. It's like the standard. We're we're cool. We live in the sun. Praise Jesus. We have the beach. It's wonderful. But the world perpetuates this. They said you have to be a certain way. You have to act a certain way. You have to drive a certain car. You have to live in a certain style house. And so we have this image, and it, it's crept into the church. Okay, it's not necessarily what house you buy, but it's, it's maybe how you dress. It's, it's how you school your children. It's how you feed your family. It's, it's many different things. And we feel that somehow we have to pretend. We have to put up this facade and say, hey, this is, this is what I want you to think I'm like. But notice, Amos, Amos never did that. And, and I don't know that you can find a spot in the Bible where a godly man ever does. You see, I believe that there is a severe lacking of genuine sincerity in who we are, in what we like, in what we dislike, in where we are with Jesus. Now, I understand some of the reasons why we might put up a facade. I mean, I'm a sinner. I know every one of you are a sinner, and if you say no, you're a liar, and so you just sinned. It's okay. We're sinners. We make mistakes. We may try as hard as we can, and yet we fail. And quite honestly, we fail miserably. And so we don't want people to see that. We come to church, and it's like, okay, I want people to think that everything is good. Everything is okay. I'm doing great. I'm the best husband in the world. I'm the best dad in the world, but I'm not. I'm not. Ask my wife. Ask my kids. I blow it. I get frustrated. I forget things. In fact, my wife has said for the last 13 years since we've got married that it's like being married to an Alzheimer's patient because I forget things that much. I'm not joking. I forget everything. And if I've forgotten your name, I apologize because that happens. I forget everything. But I don't want people to see my weaknesses. I don't want people to know when I'm struggling. I don't, I don't want people to see that there's shortcomings that are inside of me. And so the walls go up, and I will be the first to admit that I am guilty of this. The reason it's been on my heart is because God has been working on these things in me. So what does it mean to be sincere? I was able to, actually my wife was able to share with our daughter recently. She just made that transition from, from fifth grade to sixth grade, from... Mr. Mike's class, as she would say, into the junior hires, and she walked in the first day, and she realized, oh, man, they're all bigger than I am. <laughs> and she was nervous, and she came home, and, and we're like, okay, Abigail, how was, how was junior high, your first Sunday? We're so excited for you. And she's like, it was okay. Were you nervous? Yeah, yeah, I was nervous. Okay. So the weeks go by, and we, we talk to her more and more, and, and she begins to express to us how she's, she's not sure how to act. Well, I, I don't know how to act around them. I'm, I'm different than they are. Well, what do you mean? Well, a lot of them, they're, they're really good at sports. And I love my daughter to death, 
But sports is not something that she excels at in any way, shape, or form. I love her. I love her dearly. But she was born not with two left feet, but I'm pretty sure no feet at all. Um, And so she's just not good at sports. But I'm telling you, she is like a genius with children. I mean, she's going to be the best mom in the entire world because she loves kids. She loves little kids, leading for them, caring for them, getting them things, and she excels at it. We were out at an event where there was some, some junior hires and some families, and the, the junior hires were kind of off, and they were, they were going to play volleyball, and, and we were talking, hey, do you want to go play? And she's like, I, I, I'm horrible at volleyball. I don't really want to. I'm like, well, you know what? Then, then you need to go and do exactly what God has created you to do. And she says, okay, I'm going to go play with the five-year-olds. And she had so much fun. And she fed them food, and she took care of them, and and moms got to talk because all the kids were taken care of because my daughter was there. And it was wonderful. Why? Because she decided, hey, God, I want to be who you've created me to be. I don't have to be anybody else. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to pretend I'm better than anyone or worse. No, I need to be exactly who you have created me to be. And it's beautiful. And now... She comes back after services, and she's not talking about how nervous she was about the kids. No, she's, she's saying, man, it was so cool. I got to hear this from Pastor Alex, and this is what God spoke to me, and I'm just like, girl, you got it. It's clicked. You need to be who God has created you to be and to be fully overjoyed in who that is, flaws and all, but as you are sincere as you are truthful, as you are honest in that, you know what? There is something that is so special about that. Have you guys ever heard of a barbershop quartet? You heard the term before? Yeah. There's something really cool that happens during a barbershop quartet when they sing. If you guys don't know, it's a four-part harmony, a cappella, and they sing, obviously, a cappella, they sing. But when they sing and all four parts are present and in perfect harmony, there is a fifth note that emerges that is audible to the ear, yet is uncreatable by any instrument. It's amazing. You can hear it. You can recognize, hey, that, that's that sound. But there's no instrument on the planet that can play it. Why? Because it only happens when all four harmonies are blending perfectly. But if you take away one person, it can still be beautiful, but you're subtracting two notes, not just one. You see, when we try to put up a facade, when we try to pretend to be something we're not in the church, and we try to say, well, well, I, I think that I should do this, even though that's, that's not what you're created to be. That's not who you are. Then we try to squeeze ourselves in where we don't really belong. Instead of saying, God, you've created me with this love for may it be children, or adults, or you know what? You just have a heart to serve, to clean things. You have a heart to evangelize. Whatever it is, and you're going to run towards that. Well, then we have this four-part harmony where the fifth note is the Spirit of God at work in his people. But when we decide to say, well, well no, Lord, I'm going to put up a facade, and I'm just going to blend in with the other melody, all of a sudden, the, the Lord's like, well, hey, you're going to quench what I want to do. I want to do something neat but it takes you being sincere. Amos was sincere. Now, as we are sincere, as we are open and honest about who we are, 
Does that mean people are going to see our faults? Yeah, it does. Does that mean people will see our mistakes and shortcomings? Yeah, it does. But you know what? It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing because I get encouraged when I see other people make mistakes. And please don't think I'm cynical. But it encourages me because I make mistakes. And it's like, oh, there's other people like me as well. And I'm encouraged. And you know what? We're in good company because Amos, he was a sinner. Paul, he was a sinner. Isaiah, he was a sinner. Great men and women of the faith who have gone before us were flawed, yet they were sincere. In fact, Paul, at the end of his life, says, I have tried to live and serve God with a clear conscience. The idea there is that he was sincere in everything that he did. Was he perfect? No. We can even see in the book of Acts some things debatable. Hey, was that the best choice? I'm not sure it was, but you know what? He was sincere. He was who he was, and he was trying with all of his might to serve the Lord. Amos was a man who was sincere. Fourthly, he was a man of boldness, and I will hurry up because I'm running out of time. A man of boldness. He spoke what he needed to speak, even though it was difficult to hear. He didn't pull punches. Some things he said, Amos 7, 17, therefore thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by a survey line. You shall die in a defiled land and Israel shall surely be led away captive from its own land. Ouch. He doesn't pull punches. In fact, he connects with some right crosses and a left hook really well throughout this book. But his boldness was a spirit-led truth. There will be times in our lives where we are required to speak with boldness, even though it hurts. And you know what? We find from other passages in the book of Amos that it hurt Amos to share these words. Why? Because he cared for these people. He loved them. And that's really what has to bind everything together as we serve the Lord. And our fifth point, his character was of love. It's interesting to see in chapter seven, we see the declarations of vision and the first two visions were of judgments that God was going to bring then and now upon the nation of Israel. Judgments of fire, judgments of locust. And I love to see that we don't find Amos going, yeah, get him, God. That was Jonah. Jonah wanted God to get Nineveh. But Amos, he says, oh God, please don't do that. Lord, they're small and they're weak. Be merciful. What does he do? He intercedes. Why? Because he loves them. And God relented. He didn't bring those two disasters. And we'll look a lot more at that in two weeks when we get to those judgments. But there are five key characteristics. And the fifth ties everything together, being that we are those that love. So what's the characteristic of a man God uses? One, he's obedient in the big things and the little He's humble, not thinking of himself more highly than he ought. He's sincere. He is who he is. He's not afraid to be a dork or to wear sandals to church like I am because that's just what I do. He was bold with his words. And everything was covered in love. I don't know about you, but I want to be a man like Amos. I want to be a man who can be used by God. Doesn't matter where I'm from, 
what I've done, my educational background. It matters. Do I have a heart that's saying, God, I want to be used by you? I want to be available. And you guys, Amos's heart didn't start the day God called him to be a prophet. No, I believe God was cultivating this heart in Amos long before. This is who he was. And as God saw Amos, that his heart was ready, he said, okay, now I'm going to use you. Like we read there in 2 Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro throughout the whole earth. Why? Seeking who he may show himself strong. I'm butchering this. The Lord's looking for someone he can use. That's my paraphrased version. There you go. Is he going to find that person in you? We have our first things first tonight. It's a short study. We're done. But we're going to go into a time of worship. We're going to go into a time of prayer. I'm going to invite the men to come up, the worship leaders. And as we begin to worship and seek the Lord, I encourage us, let's have hearts that are saying, God, search me. God, what's inside of me? Maybe you're good on obedience, but eh, not so good on humility. Maybe you're good on humility, but you're kind of scared to speak. You're not so bold. Hey, search the heart. Or maybe God would say, I want to use you, but there's something in the way. There's something hindering. Let's allow those deep recesses of our hearts to be searched out. I understand that can be a scary thing. I don't know if you've ever spent time looking at your own heart. I mean, really looking. Not just, oh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of a sinner, but really saying, God, show and reveal the deep, hidden things in my heart. It's a scary place. But I encourage you to do it. Because as you allow the Lord to go deep into your heart, he loosens those bonds. He frees and clears out those rooms that are packed with junk. And there is such grace and forgiveness. So let's go ahead and worship the Lord and enter into a time of praise and prayer.